All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you, as always, by the great folks over at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code HockeySeason, capital H, capital S, all one word, HockeySeason. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. If you shop online at ZephyrEpic.com, you can get free shipping Canada-wide on any order over $50. But if you want to get that feel of shopping in person, they've also got a retail location in Surrey, British columbia zephyr epic check them out facebook twitter twitch instagram they're on all over the platforms they're on all of the platforms it's a good time over there at zephyr epic it's a good time in our studio today as well because we got a new bottle of crown the canucks won again from the iconic sheraton wall center dave guadrelli Harmon dial technical producer the man at the controls is grady sass hello it's also lost Sorry? Oilers also lost to the San Jose Sharks. To the San Jose Sharks, which is just... I I called it. I'm just going to come out immediately and say I called it. Like I I thought it would happen, but there was also a part of me that was thinking, okay, is it really going to happen? Are they really... No, they they lost. They were going to lose to the Sharks. And it's sad because the the Sharks didn't even play that well, right? It'd be one thing if the Sharks come out and bring their absolute A game. But no, San Jose was struggling but you know what they were op- uh, opportunistic and even though they got heavily outshot they uh they found a way to make it work and man that is just absolute art and jack campbell 
the Bakersfield Condors. Oh. The Bakersfield Condors also lost, and Jack Campbell was in net for that one. Uh, we'll get to that more in the farm report brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing, but we'll get to that later. They've the all called game. it too. He said four goals. He did. The yes. on Jack Yesterday, Campbell was four. Our prospect guru, Dave Hall, said 4-3. That was his final score prediction. We'll get to that uh, and much more later in the show, but let's start at the NHL level last night, Harm. The Vancouver Canucks picking up a 5-2 victory over the Ottawa Senators. The title of the Stanchies last night, and we'll be joined by Wyatt Arndt shortly, title was the Vancouver Canucks are officially a wagon. Let's go. This is fun. <laughs> Let's be honest. It wasn't the Canucks' best performance. No. They were definitively outplayed. They were sloppier and more turnover prone than usual. And the reason it kind of sticks out is because Canucks haven't actually had many games like that this season, right? It was more reminiscent of the type of game the Canucks played a lot of under Bruce Boudreaux, yeah. where you're turning a lot of pucks over, uh, especially the power play looked really out of sync. We saw they had a really tough time getting set up in the offensive zone. Some uh, uncharacteristic turnovers by players like Leas Pedersen, yeah. center just getting some shorthanded chances against. But even though they only generated 16 shots, they were still able to to sort of pull it out. And I mean, fortunate to get some bounces. Brady Kachuk oh. missed that. Just that's as wide open of a net as you're going to get in the NHL somehow puts it through the crease. And then two shifts later, JT Miller with the perfect wrist shot off the rush to give the Canucks a lead. That's the game right there. In my opinion, it could have been totally different if Kachuk scores to, uh, I think at that point, tied it up, tied it at three apiece. So it's, you know, that just goes to show you they were fortunate, fortunate in that game. But the one thing that is interesting is I was looking back at the numbers after, even though the Sens had a 25 to 15 edge at five on five in terms of shots, I think your chances were nine, three for Vancouver hmm. in, in their favor. So it didn't look that way watching the game, but no, it didn't, it really didn't. I mean, there seems to be some merit to the idea that, you know, at least in terms of high danger chances, the Canucks were at least, Put it this way, whatever shots they were getting were high danger. Hmm. I feel like your eye test would have told you that it came down to a goaltending battle and the Canucks just won the goaltending battle. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, it was evident that the Senators were playing the second half of a back-to-back, right? Like, that was evident. So, I don't know. Like, when, when I was watching that game, a lot of it came down to, I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's a goaltending battle right there. And the Canucks are going to win that goaltending battle nine times out of ten. But that game as a whole, you pointed out Elias Pettersson, not his best effort, still comes away with three points, like absolutely ridiculous stuff from Elias Pettersson. And this game reminded me, you brought up the Boudreaux Canucks, great point. The game against Nashville at home when Tockett came out and was not very pleased with what he was seeing from the Canucks in that game, that's what this reminded me of. And he that was the game, I believe, where Tockett singled out Elias Pettersson, even though I think he scored a hat trick that night. He said, yeah, well, Petey was one of the guys giving away the puck, and he knows it too. And I thought that was a very weak game from Elias Pettersson. Me. I hate to call it his worst game of the season when he put up three points, but he's been that good this season that, yeah, that may have been his worst game of the season so far. And he still came away with three points. Yeah. One thing before we get off of the game, I'll point out that Ottawa was equally sloppy. Yes. Right. I mean, Stutzla turning it over on Vancouver's first goal, uh, Batherson um, on McKayev's second goal. It just felt like even though the Canucks made a lot of mistakes and they were louder mistakes than the Senators made, 
Sens were, even though they were controlling most of the play, they they didn't play the type of efficient, mistake-free hockey that the Canucks have played during their yeah. better performances. So that's worth noting. On Pedersen, it's so interesting, right? Because even on the season as a whole, he's got 24 points in 13 games, leads the league in points, and yet it doesn't even feel like he's reached his best level. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the level of dominance on a shift-by-shift basis that we've seen from Quinn Hughes, for example, yeah. where he's threatening almost every time. We haven't even really seen that from Pedersen yet, and I think it's a compliment to what type of level he's reached where he's got that McDavid-esque quality where in years past, you watch Connor McDavid, and even when it's an off night for him, even when you don't notice him as much on the rush, doesn't have you on the edge of his seat, he'll it'll just be like you blink and he's and he's made you know a couple of game changing moments and he walks away from that with two or three points even though you look at that and go quiet night for McDavid still got two or three points that's what Pedersen is doing consistently this year and I think it speaks to the caliber of player where it's so special and so rare to have a guy that even when he's not at his best he can break a game wide open and that's what Pedersen did right the one-timer to sort of seal the deal um some of the, some of the places set up Mikheyev it was um even though it was one of his worst performances still puts up three points like that's that's pretty special to me and and even overall for the season as a whole you'd probably look at the Miller line as the Canucks best at five on five considering the matchups they've taken on how they've played defensively so Man, I, I just can't even and and not to mention as well, Pedersen has missed a couple practices morning skates earlier on the on the Canucks first road trip. Talk and mentioned mm-hmm. a couple maintenance days there banged up. So it just goes to show you that even though the statistics are this dominant, there's still another level for him to reach, I think. This is what interests me the most from this game. And you're right about Pedersen. Like I I love everything you're saying. The thing that interests me the most is that Ottawa was hard matching their top line and their top defensive pair against the JT Miller line, against the PB&J line. Wyatt hates that name. I like that name, PB&J. I even asked it to talk it in Edmonton. Talk it didn't seem to love it either. But anyways, the PB&J line, that was the line that was getting hard matched by the Ottawa Senators. JT Miller was on Halford and Bruff. I think two days ago he had an interview with them and he spoke about getting up for those games against Connor McDavid and elite players around the league. And when you're hard matching against those guys and you're at home and you have last change and you know, you're literally just watching their bench the entire game. And as soon as you see McDavid on the ice, boom, you're the next guy on the ice. Miller talked about how that makes it easier for him to focus on the game and really focus. Because if you lose your focus for one second, you're probably going to get scored on. it. It's probably going to be your fault if your check is McDavid. So I'm curious what JT's thoughts of that are on the other side of it when you are the guy that other teams are trying to shut down because that's what JT Miller and his line mates, Brock Besser and Phil Giuseppe, are right now. And hey, Phil Giuseppe, two assists last night. He's quietly, you know, what, what's what's his cap at? Like 1.5 or, or something. Yeah, he's super low. It's, it's lower like 775. Yeah. Exactly. I think. He's putting up great numbers for a guy in that role. Again, a lot of the conversation at the start of the year was, you know, is he a top six player? Probably not, but he's working there right now. Look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Phil Giuseppe right now, definitely 
ain't broke. And I really liked what I saw from that line. Obviously, they win their matchup on the night. It was pretty easy when they score 15 seconds into the game. You pointed out the Stusla turnover, but Brock Besser scoring 15 seconds into the game to continue to push toward the scoring lead uh, in the National Hockey League. I really liked what I saw again from that line. And that is, you know, we kind of view it as the top line in Vancouver, right? Like, I, I think it's their top line. And I think other teams are starting to treat it as such as well. Yeah, sorry if I misspoke, by the way. It's just the turnover was on Mikheyev's first goal. I might have accidentally oh, said that it was on which one? first goal. Um, Someone turned it over. Well, the, the first goal was basically just off the draw, right? Oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was interesting where the Miller line... Oh, yes, like, the best... Okay, yeah, yeah, I got mixed up. Yeah, I, okay. I don't <laughs> like for the Miller line, it was necessarily their best overall performance, mm-hmm. right? Along with the rest of the team. But what they did well was they ruthlessly punished the Senators' mistakes. And what I mean by that is, and, and Mike Johnson on the TSN broadcast did a fantastic job of breaking it down in the intermission, was when the Canucks won that draw and were immediately attacking off the rush, DiGiuseppe did an excellent job of selling the shot. And Bernard Docker, who was the weak side defenseman, sort of took his shot out uh, or sorry, took a stick out of the uh, passing lane to Besser in anticipation of the shot. And as soon as DiGiuseppe saw that, ruthlessly punishes that mistake, feeds it across to Besser. And that's taking advantage of a Senator's blue line that even though they got Zub back, they're still missing Shabbat, is a little bit banged up, mm-hmm. is a little bit experienced. That's what savvy veteran teams sort of, that's what good teams do, right? Yep. They, they, they see a weakness and they expose it. That's what DiGiuseppe did so well there, which is a level of offensive IQ that honestly did not expect. No, exactly. Yeah, because this has been a a career sort of AHL NHL tweener. And then Miller as well. You give you you give that line just a little bit of space off the rush where they normally don't even generate. Yeah. And just a perfect shot top corner. So it wasn't even their best line, but just again, ruthlessly punishing mistakes and, and being really opportunistic and the Canucks on the other end fortunate to have strong performance from Casey Smith. Yeah, and just quickly before we get to DeSmith, the the goals obviously Besser 15 seconds in and Miller again in the second period with that wrist shot you said like, you know, that was a very solid line for the Canucks and it was the one that the Senators chose to shut down. Like that's something that I I can't, you know, that I can't get past is that that's the line that the Senators tried their best to hard match and shut down and they flat out failed and it really that's what the game came down to. Another thing it came down to, Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith last night, 28 saves on 30 shots. Somehow, Casey DeSmith has become an underrated part of the Canucks season, I think. I don't think people are talking about DeSmith in the same context that they are of why the Canucks have been successful. Like, And we're guilty of it. We just talked about, oh yeah, they've got the... You know, the power play, the five and five play, and Thatcher Demko. But Casey Smith deserves to be in that conversation as well because the Canucks are at a point right now, and I think this has a lot to do with the five on five play in front of DeSmith and overall defensive improvement on the penalty kill all over the ice. Everything that we're seeing the Canucks having been improved on, Casey DeSmith is providing them with something that Yarrow Halak, Braden Holpe could not provide in Vancouver, and that was a backup goaltender. Or Thatcher Demko. Again, I think a big reason for those guys' failures was that the team wasn't very good defensively, and let's be honest, atrocious on the penalty kill. They've improved both of those areas, and I think that's partly why we're seeing DeSmith play well, but 
the fact that the Canucks felt comfortable and they feel comfortable because they still have to do it. Starting him in Ottawa, Demko on Saturday, that means that you're going back to DeSmith on Sunday, you would think, right? So DeSmith is getting two out of these three starts. As much as we talk about Thatcher Demko and yeah, this guy's pushing for the Vesna trophy, that's great. A big part of it all season long, if he especially if he can keep this up, when we talk about Vesna conversations with Thatcher Demko, we better also put some respect on Casey DeSmith's name because this guy has been a reason and so far, and if he continues it, of course, he still will be a reason for it, that Thatcher Demko is able to stay fresh, right? Like Thatcher Demko is not getting overworked right now. We were hoping that the Canucks would be able to get this level of backup goaltending. But when the conversation was around Spencer Martin and Archer Seelovs, we weren't talking about it in the same way as we are now with the Smith, where the guys come in and he's been able to actually alleviate that load. Like you would not believe it. Think, think if Martin was the backup right now or Seelovs and no disrespect. I know Martin's playing very well in Columbus, but think about the conversation. If we were saying, yeah, it's going to be the start of November and the Canucks are going to decide that yes, on this road trip, we want our backup to play two out of the three games. That's unheard of. That he's definitively going to do that. No, but he. I. Do you think they're going to start Demko back to back? I'd be. I, I, I don't. I'm think trying so. to remember. Maybe I'm. I'm misremembering. But I thought after one of the games or practices, Talkin had maybe mentioned before they obviously went on the road yeah. that. Uh, DeSmith would get one out of the three on the road trip. So I'm not certain. I don't. But, I mean, logically, I'd expect, you know, DeSmith to get one of the games on the back-to-back. But I don't, I don't know why I'm sort of remembering that. Maybe I'm, I'm totally off I, base. I, I'm remembering it the opposite way. I'm remembering him saying, yeah, it's two and we plan for this type thing. Like, okay. he, he, I think the question that he got was about Demko being potentially banged up. Like, why, you know, Demko, that type of thing. And the, he's basically talking about how DeSmith is giving them that level where they can be confident in that. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't think... I, I haven't heard that anywhere. Maybe someone in the chat can help us if they also have heard that. But my understanding is that Smith is going to play one of these back-to-backs and he started in Ottawa as well. Just give Demko a little bit of a breather. And that's fantastic because if and when the Canucks get into the playoffs, you want your starter fresh. And we saw in last year's playoffs, goaltenders that were overwork just didn't have that same level of of performance in, in the postseason it's it's changed and especially in the case of Demko where there's been some injury history in the past as well it's absolutely essential to manage his workload and not just games played right this is the other aspect that's probably helped him this year is less wear and tear even on a game-by-game basis in terms of the chances that the, that the Canucks surrender you think about how taxing it must be to explode post to post. Yes. Trying to stop cross seam backdoor plays. Yep. And the Canucks have eliminated a lot of those. And that's something that when uh, Talkit came on uh, our, our podcast la- la- last summer, back when uh, I was doing the Vancast, he spoke about part of Demko's workload and managing fatigue and, and those sorts of things isn't just how many games is, is he playing. It's, a lot of emphasis on, okay, what's his workload during the games? Because that's going to affect yeah. how much actual wear and tear there is on, on his body. And, and this is where it's essential that the Canucks continue to play a, a sort of stabler defensive environment as they've shown for most of this season. And quickly on to Smith here, guys, before we get to Wyatt, what do we always say about backup goaltenders? You need to give your team a chance to win. 
three zero and one on the season, so he's gotten points in every single start. And the starts he's won in is, and even in the loss against the Rangers, those are some prolific offenses. Now I know the Oilers aren't prolific this year, but they still have you know arguably two of the best players in the world. And so uh, that's going to come key down the stretch as we get into like the dog days of the season, February, March, resting Demko as you alluded to. Um, but yeah, the credit credit to Alvin and Rutherford for finding this guy because, like you guys mentioned before, like Spencer Martin last year, you know too much too much pressure put on him after Demko went down going back to the year before with Halak now he played pretty well the Canucks just couldn't get a lot of run support for him but it's nice to know that you have the confidence in your backup goaltender and I think that goes a long way just for the team knowing that they can play a little more comfortable a little more loosely in front of them yeah absolutely uh keep an eye on the Wendy's daily face-off survivor game I'm doing all right I'm doing all right and we'll have more info next week about that game but right now my Saturday pick Canucks to score two first period goals over one and a half is what it says over one and a half first period goals against Toronto Maple Leafs book it and most people are picking under under 1.5 that's the main prop over on Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Wendy's is offering fresh prizes all season long with Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Fantasy the game lives weekly on dailyfaceoff.com with weekly prizes and a season long prize of $5000 up for grabs it's simple you sign up play and you get free stuff on the Wendy's app pick a prop that will happen in the game and the longer you survive with correct answers the more you can win from Wendy's so while you obsess over your dream team reward that dedication with Wendy's new obsession the very real barbecue bacon cheeseburger freshly added to the Wendy's lineup enjoy the applewood smoked bacon and crispy onions as cheese melts over the fresh never frozen Canadian beef sign up today for Wendy's daily face-off survivor all right we'll bring him in the stanch daddy himself Wyatt aren't wow look at that back and he's got his three of the clubs or Eagles club we're celebrating the Eagle stuff off for this show 13 and a one boys 13 and a one I haven't even looked at the BCHL standings. That's ridiculous. Good for them. <laughs> That's yeah. great. It's good for them. Uh, yeah, match, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying they're matching the Penticton Vs. We all know the P, the Vs are a, a powerhouse, so I'm excited about the Eagles. Your Coquitlam Express are 7 and 6, though. That's That's okay, right? That's, you know. Above 500, baby. That's what we look for out in Coquitlam. <laughs> who's that in the background? Just above expectations, Coquitlam, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? Who's that in the background of your That's set? John Ham. John Ham's hanging out of the club. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harm dating himself here on conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We'll get back on the rails. That didn't take very long. Uh, Wyatt, your takeaways from last night. You wrote the statues. It was a great piece. Uh, your takeaways from last night. I'll get that in two seconds. I do want to shout Wendy's spicy chicken burger, which is one of my favorite burgers of all time. I'm, I'm even getting paid for that. I just want to say, sorry, sandwich. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm so happy Wendy's is sponsoring this right now um the game itself was uh it was fantastic honestly this is i was talking to quads before i got on like if you had given me a, a script and said hey write some fan fiction of what you think the fan base would want uh everything that's happening right now would pretty much be it right like you've got Patterson going up quinn hughes taking the next step you've got jt miller playing defensive hockey again uh you've got demko playing fantastic you've got the backup goalies as you guys were just talking about playing you know giving them a chance to win uh you have Edmonton on the other end of things looking like Vancouver last season. And the thing about, you know, bad goaltending and like a loose defense, what that does, you start seeing people say things like, oh, they don't have the maturity to win. They, they start talking about your mental game. They don't know what it takes. They're going to lose. They're a bunch of losers. And you're seeing that in Edmonton right now where everyone wants to burn everything to the ground because 
yeah, end of the day, bad defense and bad goaltending, you can't do much with that. And I think last season we kind of saw the worst of it for Vancouver. Like it really did kind of like Demko, we haven't seen play that way ever. So as much as you know they played badly last season, they're playing just as good this season. So we all know, you know, they're on a heater. You know, they're they're playing like a wagon. It's it's only gonna go so far, but man just enjoy it because this team right now they're playing good hockey uh and as i think everyone's kind of seeing like even last night what i saw when the canucks were tied 2-2 the canucks fan base was like you know what fine let's let's see what we got here like no one's really mad no and everyone kind of knows it's going to go downhill a bit but everyone's kind of like all right well let's see what what we do have in our hands so it is kind of nice because like end of the day they pile up a bunch of points like statistically for them to miss the playoffs you know it would take a really bad run and look we it's vancouver we know they can do that <laughs> but it's just like let people enjoy it like even the fact that quinn hughes has taken this next level to his game has been one of the most exciting storylines this, this town has seen and i said it before when he has the puck there is like a bit of an audible buzz that Burry would get not at the same level calm down everyone but just when he has the puck and he's making moves people are like oh my god this kid's just like he's worth the price of admission to watch play hockey right now absolutely there's so many positive storylines that you could pick with this team right now for you who's your guy stanch who do you really want to shout out that maybe isn't getting enough love or or maybe he is already getting enough love but who's your guy right now that you just want to shout out as as being such an important part or such a fun part of this team right now i'm gonna go off the beaten path it's not necessarily that he's an integral cog of this team but he's been a guy that's been under fire for all and I've played my part in that. I apologize, chaos draft. But Tyler mm-hmm. Myers right now has simplified his game. And I, for years, have been like, why doesn't this guy use his reach properly? I don't understand. Can Sammy Salah not teach this guy to use his stick properly? He gets his gap controls off. He would make these like hardcore reads. He would just go for the puck. He has simplified his game now. And whether it's Adam Foote, Gonchar, or Talkett, whatever it may be, he is now playing just very simple hockey and playing effective hockey. And again, it's one of those kind of Louis Erickson back end. I think, okay, he's being paid a lot of money. You don't want just that. But for a guy that has gone through a lot and is, you know, you know, carry that burden of the cap it on. I know poor rich guy, but he has, you know, bared the brunt of a city kind of attacking for a long time. His game right now has, has been, you know, wonderful to watch. And, and part, even like go like all wrong, Ian Cole, Carson Susie. Uh, I think I heard Grady mentioning it, how like there's no more of those backdoor play. Or maybe it was Harmon. There's no more backdoor tap-ins right now. The goaltenders are having a much easier uh, way of things. And that was what, for like two, three years, it felt like the Canucks were giving up the most high data chances of anyone. And right now, everything's kind of been simplified. And it's just the defensive structure of this team right now uh, is just fun to watch, honestly. Like they're, they're limiting chances. When there are scrambles, they're, they're getting the way of shots. They're doing all the little things as we like to, to make fun of, but they're doing them. And so for me, it's just the overall team defensive structure has just been just glorious. Because you look at Edmonton, there's the, that's what Vancouver used to be, right? Just giving up mm-hmm. these chances. Look what look what they did to Edmonton. Like that that game right there last season would have been Edmonton doing it to Vancouver, and now it's the other way around. Wyatt, really good points. Uh, our pal, state affiliated media, Chris Faber, tweeted out uh, over these five wins, the goal share for a lot of the Canucks. Uh, Tyler Myers eight to zero, been on the ice for zero goals against, been on the ice for eight goals for and Rick Tockett has been giving him a lot of love and you've really liked what you've heard from Rick Tockett this season Rick Tockett like I know there's a lot of stats fans out there and I, and I don't want to say like intangibles but there is an aura about Rick that is just really easy to kind of follow along with like we had Travis Green was like your angry stepdad uh you know <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux was like your drunk uncle and but like Rick Tockett's like <laughs> Rick talk is like your dad that you want to make proud. Like, like he's not mad at you. He's just disappointed. And like, there's something about just like, you just kind of want to like do things. Even as a writer, I'm like, Oh, I hope Rick's proud of this article. Like you get caught up and try to prove to Rick that like, we're all pulling our weight around here. And I think for Rick, like even something like, yeah, he benched Tyler Myers, uh, cut his ice time down a bit, but he responded. Uh, when talking does something, it feels overall just very fair. Like it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not playing well, 
he's going to talk to you, but give you a chance to redeem yourself. Like, no better scenario than JT Miller. The end of that period was terrible. That was that was 2019 JT Miller. That was yelling at Colin Delia at JT Miller. But what does he do? He responds in the third period. He comes out hard. And I think for someone like Rick Tockett, he's given this entire team structure. And JT Miller, to me, really is like a Ryan Kessler type guy where like when he has structure and it's and he's in a winning environment, he's, you know, can go balls to the wall. But when things are going poorly and you don't have that structure around him, I think he can kind of become an impediment to the team. And that's where his personality sometimes becomes too big. So Rick Tockett, to me, is just a guy that right now that has everyone firing all cylinders. I know things are going to go up and down. We're going to have to see some tougher times for him. But he's he really does kind of have that Pat Quinn aura right now where people are like, just respect the hell out of him. Like fans right now are like, I know winning makes everything easier, but even without that, like he came into one of the toughest situations you could think of. Bruce Boudreau, beloved coach gets, you know, kicked out. Everyone's yelling, everyone's screaming, everyone's mad. It's a losing season. Talk, it comes in. And that same kind of calmness he brought with him has continued his entire time. And I just have to give full credit to Rick for how he's handled himself in the city. Rick's been fantastic, Wyatt, but I think it actually goes even farther than that, too, with the whole coaching staff as a whole there. Uh, look at Sergey Gonchar, Adam Foote, uh, Daniel and Henrik Sedin. They had a practice the other day. J-Pat had this stat where he calculated over 6,000 games of NHL experience on the ice at once. You can talk about pretty much any game scenario you know, any problems off the ice. Those guys would have seen it all. Uh, you have Ian Clark out there working with the goalies. Like, this is an ultimate dream scenario. Um, imagine the the lineup. If you put all the Canucks coaches and executives they had, you could have talk it with the Sedins, uh, Gonchar foot, your top D pairing. Like it's, it's truly incredible. The amount of experience they have on this coaching staff and through the whole, whole organization now. Yeah. I mean, no offense to Jason King, but they haven't had that level of, of player <laughs> in the past. Uh, <laughs> And but it's true, like you think of it, like I for me, sometimes players kind of get gifted spots in management. I'm like, are they really like like just because you play the game doesn't mean you can necessarily manage a team? And we've seen that kind of play out, but they know how to play the game. And if you get guys that have played the game and have even an ounce of the ability to kind of translate that to other people, like I feel like Connor McDavid wouldn't be the best. He'd just be like, just go out and score, bro. Like he wouldn't like Wayne Gretzky, I don't know, just put it in the puck of the net. But certain players <laughs> have the ability to translate that to their team. And can you imagine like even like Todd Myers is spending like a couple months with Adam Foot, just about body positioning and stick work and uh, Quinn Hughes, Sergey Gonchar, I'm sure could be like, hey man, bro, spin around a time. Like you could learn from him. Like add that skill along with that toolage from these Hall of Fame players. And I think we're definitely seeing results. That's a great point from Grady. Why you're a man of the people. Do you get the sense that fans, and what I mean by I should maybe not even fans, but people in the city are getting behind this team. Because, look, the diehards, Canucks Twitter folk, they're always going to be behind this team. Win or lose, they've got that passion. But I'm talking more like the casual people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm back on the Canucks wag- bandwagon again, that sort of thing. Because, for example, like for me, the 2019-20 year when they went on to to go to the bubble playoffs, like that to me captured that casual audience, the people mm-hmm. in the city. But, for example, the Boudreaux bump during the 2021-22 season, it didn't feel like it really got that buzz going in the city. As a man of people, what what are you seeing? It honestly, and I, I mentioned this in my stance as well. It, it kind of reminds me a lot of the two thousand kind of era of the Canucks because nineteen ninety four comes along. They they lose in game seven, and then they try and see if they can push for another cup run. They end up taking Messi in, and this is a really dark era of, of Canucks history. And twenty eleven, kind of the same thing. They had that run. They had the next, you know, twenty twelve, that last little run, and it kind of fell into the Benning era, and it was very dark history. And it was only around 2000 when, like, kind of the West Coast Express era started coming together. And and they got swept by Colorado that year in four games, but they got a standing ovation at at the end of that series. And I feel that's kind of what's coming together because people have been 
you know, miserable and sad and people have been infighting for so many years here that you look at it now and like I have never seen the fan base this united in a long time and making fun of Edmonton. Like I do one tweet alone with Edmonton and get like 500 likes. People are like, yeah, screw Edmonton. Like the fan base, it is one of those things where if you come to Vancouver and you attack them, like they will combine together to be like, no, 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 only we get to do that. So having Edmonton lose and, and other teams struggle and the Canucks playing so well, again, even with all the PDO talk and all the regression, we know that's probably coming. It's just people have been dying for this kind of a fun run for a while and just like seeing elite hockey at this level is a different beast than kind of the, even that bubble run like bubble run there was like you know they had some solid wins and demco played amazing but we're seeing the level of performances that we haven't seen since around the 2011 era of players playing at like top 10 in the league right now i think it's the car flags when you see the car flags come up that's when, when you everybody, know that's when you know scott road <laughs> yeah scott road yeah that's when you know yep. wyatt thank you so much for doing this my friend uh pleasure as always thanks for having me on boys wyatt art brought to you by wendy's I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else about the big club? Because I got <laughs> I got a big prospect report today, folks. I've been digging in. I've been oh, yeah? digging in. I got a big prospect report today. Uh, do, you, do you have anything else before I get to all that? No, you can. You can Mike's all yours. <clears throat> all right. It's time for the prospect report brought to you by our friends over at four winds brewing family owned and operated in Delta home of the four winds light light lager, a crisp clean and easy drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before after or during the game. You watching the Oilers play, you're going to want some four winds on you. Ask for four winds light lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at four winsbrewing.ca all right i got a lot here a lot of it comes courtesy obviously of our contributors at canucks army so cody sievertson uh lachlan irvin both of those guys covering abbotsford last night lachlan got to speak with jack campbell so i was kind of diving into those quotes a little bit also we're we're not going to get too much into jack campbell don't worry but cody was recapping the game for canucks army 4-1 victory 
over Bakersfield for those Abbotsford Canucks. Niels Amon with a two goal performance. And he was, you know, one of those was a shorthanded goal. And Niels Amon's going to be a player I want to focus on a lot during this segment. So you can obviously chime in as well. But Abbotsford scores four unanswered goals on Jack Campbell, two goals from Niels Amon, a goal and an assist from Sheldon Dries, assist from Danilo Klimovich, Philip Johansson, Linus Carlson, and Christian Willannon. I'm very sorry to report no points for Arshdeep Baines, who is now tied for second place in AHL scoring. The player in first, friend of the show, do you have a guess? I saw the info sheet. So <laughs> the hockey god. The hockey god, Adam Gaudet, who he's a friend of the show because he's been on the show. Uh, actually, I don't even know if he was ever on the show. He just played Warzone with us during the <laughs> pandemic uh, and helped promote us that, that Canucks Twitter Warzone game that we did. Um, that was money. great. Yeah. yeah, to raise money. I played for in that. Dave Nordum. Um, we raised money for him as he was battling cancer. And we had a great time. Adam Gaudet helped us promote that. Uh, he is up to 11 goals and six assists through 12 games for the Springfield Thunderbirds. When did you think Adam Gaudet was going to work his way into the Canucks prospect report in 2023? I bet not. Um, but I'd like to focus on Nilzaman for a little bit here because he's up to seven goals and six assists through 12 games for Abbotsford, tied for fourth in league scoring. Harmon, when we look at Nilzaman, this is a guy who last year broke in with the Canucks when they were being coached by Bruce Boudreaux, and he kind of held down that fourth-line center role for most of the season. Now, obviously, the guys they have up here now are upgrades on Nils Amon, and that was kind of the point of going out and getting those guys. I really like that he now has the chance to kind of go down to Abbotsford because with Nils Amon, there was never a question about the defensive side of the game, right? Like Rick Tockett in his kind of end of season media avail last year talked about him on and he said, I really like this guy. He just needs to put on a little bit more weight, just needs to get a little bit tougher on pucks. And I think another thing that we'd like to see from Niels Amon is to kind of develop the offensive side of his game a little bit. And I think that's what we might be seeing right now in Abbotsford. It's worth noting, like I said, that he's tied for fourth in scoring um, because, you know, obviously Baines is getting a lot of the headlines, but Niels Amon, a guy who, we already know can play a solid defensive game at the NHL level. It's all enough. Like he still has room to grow, obviously, but starting to get that offensive touch down in Abbotsford really like to see that from Oman. Yeah. It was interesting where when last season, Oman was demoted to Abbotsford for a while and then was called back up down the stretch. It felt like he had a bit more offensive confidence compared to when he first broke, broke out and made the team right out, right out of camp especially him and Joshua, it felt like they had some chemistry going. They were creating some chances off the rush. And coming into training camp this year, Oman was honestly really impressive. Just mm -hmm. watching his speed, it felt like, felt like he'd gotten a little bit faster. The way that he was looking even stronger on battles, just hounding guys. It wasn't obviously the, the type of wow performance where you're like, this guy has to make the team. But it was it was a year where you could tell he'd leveled up compared to camp camp last year. Yep, and that's important with him because he's still a relatively young player. And with Oman, if he can add that little bit of offensive touch, and then the second thing that I would like to see him continue continue to work on is faceoffs because that's a department that yep. he struggled in last season. And, if and you, you need to be, get better if you're going to be a bottom six player. And you were about to say that, but yes, exactly. if you're going to be a bottom six player in the NHL, you need to be good at faceoffs. Obviously, especially. If you're going to be relied on to kill penalties, because yeah. faceoffs at five on five may not be a huge deal, but special teams are make or break, right? Because if you get that 
first faceoff win on a uh, on a PK, get that initial clear. That's immediately going to kill off 20 seconds on the clock. And then yeah. it's not just those 20 seconds. It's now the opposition has to figure out how to carve through your neutral zone forecheck structure and get set up, which isn't always easy, as opposed to you lose that first draw as a penalty killing unit. They're immediately set up. And that's that's just dangerous, right? Yeah. And another thing on Amon that I kind of want to point out is that you want to become a player who can't be replaced by a PS suitor, just a free agent signing, you know, on the cheaper side. Teddy Bluger even was kind of viewed as the replacement for Nils Amon, right? Like if you're Nils Amon, you want to get to a level where you are not somebody that can be replaced like that. And the Canucks have managed to replace him, obviously. But I like what I'm seeing from him down in the AHL. I hope he continues to do it. And I hope we start to see some development. And we had someone in the YouTube live chat asking about the face-off, uh, face-offs for Nils Amon. He's working on it. He's, he's going to be working on it. And that's the thing. We see these guys working with Henrik Sedin on face-offs. And you just, back to the coaching staff conversation, you just think like, okay, there's got to be some wisdom put in there. Like, remember when Manny Malholtra would work with a guy and then he'd win every face-off the night late, like the next night? Yeah. We want to see that effect, especially with the young centers. Because, look, as much as we talk about Nils Amon and, you know, um, or excuse me, as much as we talk about Atu Ratu and how his kind of development maybe lines up with the two years that the Canucks handed out to Suter, Nils Amon's also a guy that's going to be trying to develop into that role where he can be the third-line center for this team when P.S. Suter's contract is up. Uh, I don't think he has 3C potential. Sure. For me, but 4C if he can, absolutely, absolutely. He can be that type of guy. Yeah especially on the cheap. Yeah. The other thing too is, I think when you look at, sorry, I, Grady, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you no, no problem. Say? No, I was just going to say, um, I think, you know, he doesn't have like a high uh, ceiling per se, but his floor is really good. His, uh, yeah, high floor. Yeah. So, and what I like about him too, 6'2", he's pretty rangy. Like you talk about, for a, you know, what you want to see out of a defensive center. He's got like a big rangy wingspan. Now he's down in Abbotsford. He actually can work on his offensive side of the game. He's not going to cost you a lot. If an injury happens, you know, he can be a f- kind of the first center to get called up unless they want to go for a more offensive guy like maybe Sheldon Dries. But uh, he's going to be cost controlled and he's still pretty relatively young and he's working on his development. So uh, once he kind of fills into that frame a bit more, maybe in the next few years here, he might be a cheap, dependable guy that could really translate into a strong defensive forward first. And I think at this point with the Canucks, like that's what you're going to want here as they kind of climb this arc from hopefully playoff team to one day contender status. You really need those def- reliable defensive forwards in your bottom six. Yeah. And Nils Amon, I pointed out, he's obviously up there in points. So are a lot of Abbotsford Canucks. Like you look at the AHL stats page right now, it looks a lot like the NHL stats page. You're seeing a lot of Canucks on there. You're seeing a lot of Canucks when you go look at the scoring race down in the AHL. Uh, okay. Do you, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I just wanted to say depth wise, it just goes to show you how much better the team is that, for instance, Sheldon Dries early in the season was yep. this team's third line center. Yep. Nozaman was already an everyday player. Um, now you've got those two guys as potential options when you run into injuries. You've got Arshdi Baines, who deserves a look at some point. Yep. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin, hopefully, as he gets healthy, gets back on track, builds some confidence. He's a player that is now sort of waiting in the wings as well as another option for you. It just feels like this team has a lot more sort of depth, at least when it comes to sort of the bottom six and, and bottom of the lineup compared to years past where it was like 
one or two injuries and you're already worried about just how disastrous the bottom six looks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, moving to the Five Nations tournament. This is the latest article right now on CanucksArmy.com, courtesy of our pal Dave Hall, who wrote about Jonathan LeCaramacchi's three-point night today at the Five Nations tournament. We already talked about it. He was sat out for the first game, as was fellow Canucks prospect Elias Pettersson, the defenseman, of course. And LeCaramacchi gets into the lineup today. Three points in his debut with Team Sweden, playing on the top line. Could have had four. It was pointed out, Dave pointed out in his article, that that first goal that Sweden picked up, he was hard on the forecheck. And that's the thing that people want to see from LeCaramacchi is, okay, I've seen a lot of goals on Canucks Army, and we get this all the time, of people of him scoring from the same spot on the power play. I knew he was a power play specialist. He didn't show it last year, but I don't want to just see him scoring goals from the same spot on the power play. What's he doing away from the puck? And that's the number one thing that we need to see this guy work on is, you know, what's he doing when he doesn't have the puck on his stick? Even when he has the puck on his stick, is he really driving to the middle or is he kind of floating around on the back and waiting for options to open up? What's he doing when he has the puck? What's he doing when he doesn't have the puck in the offensive zone? Really strong on the forecheck in this game for Jonathan LeCaramacchi. So I think he passed with flying colors in that regard. Like I said, he sat out the first game, uh, but that's only because Sweden has four games in as many days now uh, at the Five Nations Tournament. So we'll have more on that. And the next prospect report, which Tuesday, we're taking a show off on Monday for Remembrance Day. We'll be back on Tuesday to break down the um, the weekend's games. Obviously, there's two this weekend. You think Casey DeSmith starting both, which I think that'd be crazy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You think he's starting one. <laughs> um, but we'll get to all that on Tuesday. And Bo Horvat back in action in Vancouver. Does, does Bo Horvat, we'll talk about this next week, but does Bo Horvat get booed when he returns? I think so. I don't think he gets the standing O, I'll tell you that. I'll I think that it'll for be free. I think it'll be mixed, but because the team's off to a good start, I feel like the fans are maybe in a bit more of a forgivable mood. But the fans on Twitter. Have yeah, but like, that's a that's a loud minority group that just wants to hear themselves. I think it'll be mostly positive. I think yeah. I think a lot of fans are looking at how much teams how much success the team is having without Bo Horvat and saying what the hell? How much of this was really on Bo Horvat? It wasn't. Come it wasn't, on. It wasn't, it wasn't. But oh, hey, the vocal minority on Twitter. I speak for them. And like when he made the comment about the stadium being People quiet, People to me, that. that was more indicative on the management team for not building a better team around him during his time. I agree. Why with you. was the crowd so quiet? Because the team sucked. Like full stop. Sure, you could have hoped that he would have given a bit more, but. You know, this isn't basketball. One guy isn't going to change the team that much. Uh, I'm going to push back a little here. We're going to have this conversation next week, but I'm sorry. If you're coming out every single night and saying, oh, that was unacceptable. That was unacceptable. That was unacceptable. That was unacceptable. And then you are cheating for offense yourself. Get out of here. I'm sorry. I don't have time for that. I don't. Come on. You can't pin it on. This is the same thing that Buffalo fans did with Jack Eichel, right? The Sabres were a mess and it's like, Oh, it's all Jack Eichel's fault. He's the cancer. It's, but it's look, his, look, he's the locker Jack, room problem. He's the Jack selfish guy. Eichel had around him in Buffalo compared to what Bo Horvat had around him in Vancouver. It was a lot better in Vancouver. It wasn't that much better. The who, who was the two C in Buffalo? I mean, they had Ryan O'Reilly right, for yeah. a bit. Okay, but they that, also had Sam Reinhardt. They also had Rasmus Dallin. O'Reilly was long gone by the time those complaints about Eichel were it's, happening. The Canucks roster was bad. It was bad, but they. St- 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And then Eichel goes off to Vegas, and then he wins a cup, and then it's like, yeah, of course, it wasn't Eichel's fault that the Sabres were bad. Hey, it was just hey, a bad team. I'm not saying it's Bo Horvat's fault. I'm just saying that he is associated with a very bad era in Canucks history now, whether he likes it or not, whether we like it or not. And I don't mean to get too anti-Bo Horvat here. We'll get to it more next week. But look, I'm just saying people shouldn't discredit the fact that people were very tired of hearing Bo Horvat say that was unacceptable and nothing changing. And hearing all this stuff about a lack of accountability and this team, you know, being a country club, that's on your watch as a captain. You're the captain. He is the captain. You're right. But also, too, the coaching staff and the structures they implemented. Bruce Boudreau was loosey-goosey fire wagon hockey. You know, if Bo Horvat is in Rick Tockett's system, you're going to see a different player. Like, look how he's been deployed on the island. Like, defensive first guy, penalty killing. He's not, you know, the power play ace uh, that he was here in Vancouver. It's all about the system and the guidance you play, and that falls on the coaching staff. And I think we've one of the biggest difference between this year and last year is that this team finally is locking it down. Well, at least better defensively. I still think they have some ways to go here but again you can't pin it all on one guy i hear what you're saying quads when you're the captain you have to face the noise you have to go out there in front of the media but you know let's be real here like that was the jim benning team that he assembled Bo just happened to be uh you know in the forefront of it all yeah it's not it's not all Bo's fault i'm just saying i don't think it's going to be the super warm reception that everybody's thinking we'll talk about it next week uh let's get to anyone else everybody in the chat's fighting today I just I just scrolled down. Really? Everybody's like, there's like legitimate fights happening in our chat. Grady, you might want to take a look at that. But anyways, uh, let's get to what are they fighting about? a lot, a lot of different stuff. The Bo Horvat's fights haven't even begun, I don't think, except for Karan, who it's, said bag take quads at it again. <laughs> it's because uh, we're scrapping. We're setting the tone for the chat. Uh, let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's time for our listeners chance to it's our listeners chance to get involved and hit us up in the youtube live chat it's also our listeners chance to get 25 percent off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 dollars or more that's right for a limited time our listeners can get 25 percent off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 dollars or more when they download the doordash app and enter code nation 25 in all capital letters that is nation 25 offer valid in canada subject to change terms to apply let's hear it let's hear it folks uh what do we got in the YouTube live show. A lot of fights. People fighting about Lakaramaki. You have to scroll up a ways right now to find questions. There, yeah, there was one question for, for you. Yeah, go ahead. While you're searching for that, I'll just remind people that if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the page and follow uh, Canucks Army on Twitter as well. Beautiful. Okay. This is a weird question. I'm going to read this one out loud. Grady, is there any in there, like higher in the chat that you can set for us? Because I... Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Karan. Thank you, Karan. Okay. Do you think Beauvillier should move up in the lineup, either with PD or Suter? He's an offensive player and doubt he's going to do well in a fourth-line role. No. I mean, the top six lines are working perfectly as it is. I mean, Mikheyev has been excellent since coming back from injury, better than I thought he would, considering the severity of um, the ACL injury. And, I mean, you're not breaking up that second line with, or, you know, whatever you want to call the first first, second line, 1A, 1B. Uh, you're not breaking up the Miller trio either. So I, I like the lineup the way it is. Don't uh, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Karan, who should come out of who should come out if Bluger plays on Saturday? Which we don't know if he will. Who should come out of the lineup? Is it Beauvillier? 
Might be. I'm trying to it think. Was be. there anybody else in the bottom six who really looked out of place last? No, last that's night? the thing, and it's the same conversation we've kind of had this whole week. Harmon is that there's nobody that's sticking out like a sore thumb, like there usually is in Vancouver, right? Especially in the bottom six, there's nobody that's sticking out that makes you think, okay, you need to come out of the lineup because this team can't afford to have you in the lineup. Like we we quickly touched on Tyler Myers. Like Tyler Myers really turned it around. Like if they had a defense coming back. The easy answer would have been, okay, Tyler Myers comes out of the lineup. I don't know if it is right now. It's not. And I think the same can be said about the forward group. I don't think it's an easy decision. Um, but like we've talked about, Bluger's not going to be a healthy scratch on this team. So it might end up being Anthony Beauvillier. And then, like, that's the thing is, I don't think it's going to be a situation where Beauvillier or whoever it is spends more than two consecutive nights in the press box. Like, I think it's going to be a rotation yeah. of, okay, you need to get going. And it, I think that just adds to the Canucks' level of accountability, which is what we've seen from them this year, that increased level of accountability that give a bleep meter is higher for every player, it seems. And I think that's only going to add to that. Okay, we've got a few here. Now now they're pouring in. Okay, question for you, Harm. We'll, we'll both give our answer on this. Who makes a bigger impact immediately? LeCaramaki or Willander? I would say Willander. I agree with you. Yeah. And the reason is because, obviously positional need but also for Lakaramaki to earn Tockett's trust I think there's a lot of details that he's going to need to round out Lakaramaki just strikes me as more of a longer term project even though he um, is a little bit older so you you think oh more mature prospect might um, make it quicker but Tockett is huge on this idea that I don't care if you're a goal scorer, what do you do besides scoring? Because you're not going to be scoring every game. And that's where you look at Brock Besser, for example, huge reason why he's been able to earn the trust in her talk. It is because Rick can look at Besser's game now and go, okay, he's competing hard enough to work on a shutdown line, matching up against Mm. the other team's best players. Not that he's been a defensive stud, but he's not turning pucks over. He's got the size to win battles when necessary. And he's just, he's responsible, right? And that's a player that when he was drafted was probably more of a one-dimensional scorer. That's basically what LeCaramac is going to need to uh, sort of do. And that takes time. There's a lot of good ones here. Do you have any that you want to get to, or can I set you up for another one? Uh, you can, you can set me up. RW hockey. Canucks need to trade Willander in this year's first for Travis Sanheim. No, no. <laughs> that was a bar down screenshot, which was just atrocious. That. And then they were like, oh, you're probably going to throw in Carson Soucy and Ian Cole as well. It's like, what? Anyways. Yeah. Those guys don't I've know anything about the Canucks. No. Don't listen to them. No. Okay. Uh, anyone else from Jesse Churchwell? Kuzmenko, a legit, legitimate two-way winger now. And do you re-sign Mark Friedman? I'll answer the Friedman question. I don't know if the play of Mark Friedman, if your takeaway should be, they got to re-sign this guy as much as it should be okay, here's a replacement-level player, a player that was in the American Hockey League that we basically were able to acquire for spare parts that was able to fit into your system. I don't know if the answer is, okay, well, we got to re-sign Mark Friedman. You've got Ethan Bear potentially coming back. I think Dolly Wall threw it out today that it could be end of December toward then for Ethan Bear, but hopefully Ethan Bear's back on this team. I think we got to see it a little bit more from Mark Friedman. And look, I'm not saying it's just a heater for Mark Friedman, but you'd like to see a little bit more before you immediately call up his agent and say, we need to re-sign this guy right now. And I think the same can be said for a guy like Tyler Myers, who expires at the end of this year. Um, If you want to re-sign Tyler Myers, I don't think you do it in November when the team is playing this well. I think you kind of go into um, the whole season. The only guy you re-sign early is Elias Pettersson. 
Which is probably the guy they won't resign. <laughs> well, no, I mean, wouldn't this be an amazing time? Oh. Teams rolling. Oh. Just to, like put your be- absolute best foot forward. Right but- right now, what is the dollar figure? As as of this very moment. I saw Friedman talking about 13, and not Mark Friedman, uh, Elliot Friedman pointing out, you know, he's probably already there at that level of being yeah. in the running to be one of, if not the highest paid player in the league which isn't great for the Canucks. And it's funny because if I'm Pedersen's agent, I'm saying you're not signing now. You're you're no. waiting. Well, you're waiting the season now. You're building that case. And Fried and Elliot put out the report today that he said, "Yeah, I think the Canucks are ready, but I don't think uh I think they're just waiting for Pedersen's camp to say, "Yeah, we're ready to go." I think Elliot yeah. had that today. Yeah. They had an opportunity in the summer to get ahead of this, and this was the risk allowing it to play out now. It takes two to tango. So perhaps Pedersen was like, you know what? I want to see the season through. And by all accounts, I mean, that's what he said. So yeah. you could understand that perspective. But I mean, how often does the price ever get cheaper? It only goes up. So, you know, you go back to that bridge contract under Benning and they had a chance to go the eight year term there, but they just had too much money on the books. Oh, we yell Garland, baby. <laughs> like, that's why. Well, no, yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. Just laugh about it, guys. And, and all oh. of it start and all of it started with um the original like Beagle, Roussel. Oh, yeah. And I vividly remember all the arguments on Twitter at the time where it's like, oh, the team's rebuilding, they need veteran <laughs> character guys. Oh, no, and these contracts aren't gonna hurt them when they're actually competitive. Yes. And I'm just like, no, no. Here we are, they're competitive. It's hurting them. It's like the domino meme, you know, where it starts with what was the first signing they made? It was it was Michael Delzato and Sam Gagne. That that was the first string of bad free agent signings. I mean, they, they were fine because they were low, they were shorter they were short, term. Short yeah. Term. Okay. What ended? You. Sorry. What ended up happening to Sam Gagne, guys? Like that guy had to get buried in the. Anyways, we're not gonna start yeah. this. But it's Ryan Spooner. With that. It was the yeah exactly. It was the first bad trade that they made. You push down the dominoes, and the end result is it's 2023-24. Elias Pettersson is at the top of the NHL scoring race, and the Canucks are going to have to pay him big time. That's the domino effect. Absolutely. Let's see if we got anything else here. We got a few. I like this. Am I the only one reading the chat, guys? YouTube decided to give me some ads. Well, right YouTube's now. buzzing today, so all the good <laughs> questions have been pushed yeah. up. Um, B. Sam Gagne, Edmonton's hero. He is a yeah, I mean, it feels like game. every two or three years, he somehow ends up back in Edmonton. And he does pretty well. <laughs> Honestly, he's super handy. Is like, we just need an NHL body to play bottom six minutes and we don't have more than like league minimum to pay it's the reason he's stuck around good veteran hell of a shot bear and susie would be a good second pairing good second pair i, I think a more think ideal third, third. yeah there that's a, but it's a good third pair like i would it would be a good third pair for sure uh forgive me i forget the person's name but they're asking about zach benson which i hmm. don't really want to relitigate but you know we haven't heard a lot about him because how well the team's been playing but what were your guys' reaction when they pass on Benson. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about prospects, but I did think, okay, local guy, this is a nice story. Mm-hmm. He's also putting up points. And then obviously you saw him go to Buffalo. And this isn't even about a Willander versus Benson thing. What I'm impressed with the most about Benson is when you hear Buffalo head coach Don Granado talk about him, when you heard him out of talking about him during the preseason and during the start of the season, he said, usually when we get a young player that's offensively gifted like Benson is, you're worried about the stuff away from the puck. But he said that hasn't been an issue for Benson. I think that's the most impressive thing for me just about the player is that he was able to kind of step right in 
and avoid those mistakes and having to go through that those growing pains that we see with so many young players um, that are offensively gifted in the NHL as they get there and they got to either, you know, they got to go back down and work on some things away from the puck or they need to put on muscle. The fact Benson, especially being an undersized winger, is able to do what he's doing, I think it's great. I think he's, it's good. He's going to be a stud. I don't know if he's going to stick around for the full season here. I, th- I think he slowed down recently, got banged up a little bit, but... When I caught him earlier in the year, he was already, from a competitiveness standpoint, winning battles. You're just like, how is a guy this small? Like, again, in the season opener against the Rangers, he's out-muscling Artemi Panarin for pucks. Not that Panarin's the biggest guy, but, like, that was killing a Rangers offense's own possession. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you're like, man, this is an 18-year-old undersized winger who, by the way, isn't just renowned for his defensive game and competitiveness he's mainly an offensive driver with stupid yeah. point totals last season in whl so um yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be a really good player and hopefully for, for the canucks sake um will lander is um is right there with him so he played on the 19th against calgary then he had a lower body injury the day after it kind of came out he was back in the lineup played on the 24th went pointless in that game and the one against colorado right after and then after that he's out on IR with a lower body injury. So I don't know if he was playing through something, but obviously, like you said, he is banged up. He's on IR right now, um, but he's had six games played with two assists, does Zach Benson. Okay, we'll close out anyone else there. Um, is there anything, anyone else here? Let's see. Okay, want to give one last one? You want to read this Zachary Wilson one? You don't have it open. I'll read it to you. Anyone else? What kind of player should the Canucks target in a trade with examples? Depth guys swinging for the fences for a top four D or a top six forward who might be available. Uyghur, Anderson, or dare I say Lindholm. Okay, this is going to be a cop-out, but it's genuinely what I believe is I want to see a larger sample so that I understand where exactly the team is at. So you have a more definitive idea of the strengths and weaknesses. You get to see how a guy like Ethan Bear, if he does indeed sign with the Canucks, how he gets to fit in, what that does for your blue line. And you'll see, you might, you might, you might even end up with injuries, right? And and now that can change the uh, complexion complexion of your lineup and the situation you're in. But also just having a a greater understanding of okay, we know the Canucks are good, but how good are they? Like, are we talking a team that has a le- legit shot to where if they go into first round playoff ser- ser- series with a team like LA, that you're thinking there's a legit shot for us to win here? And that because that then changes the scope of now you might go bigger swing for a guy that uh, might fit into your team for a while. Um, whereas if you're more looking at it from a standpoint of okay, we want to get into the playoffs, but now's not the time to make a, a, a big push, then you're going, okay, let's save our big chips and let's just fill around the edges with with depth to make sure that okay, we get into the playoff if, if and when we get into the playoffs. We're competitive, but this isn't the, you know, a make or break year for, for that type of success. I like it. Thanks to everybody who interacted with us during the Anyone Else segment presented by DoorDash. Let's get to our Betway Bet of the Day as we head in to the weekend. Bit of a longer show today. Like I said, won't be here on Monday, but we will be here on Tuesday. Also expecting Tuesday to be a long show. I'm sure the Bo Horvat debates will be fire on Tuesday. Let's get to our Betway Bet of the Day. Pull it up here, Grady. Uh, not much NHL action tonight, but one that I'm looking at is the Minnesota Wild at the Buffalo Sabres. My bet is for the Minnesota Wild to win outright. A $10 bet gets you $20 in return. 
the reason I like this bet, Harmon, is that Jared Spurgeon, Minnesota Wild captain, returning to the lineup, making his season debut tonight. I think the boys are going to be buzzing for him in his return. I think the Minnesota Wild pull away with the victory, and if you think so as well, be sure to go check it out over at Betway. 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Okay. Um, That was a great show. We'll close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name's Dave Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.